0: Hello, and welcome to the West connect podcast, where we help ensure that student athletes are successful on and off the field. Today, I'm excited to have an old friend, and he is old um, Nick DeNardo, who is my vintage uh, class at Wesleyan. We were good friends back in the day fraternity brothers. And um, he played football with um, a lot of my buddies. So I'm excited to have Nick on the show. Appreciate you joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on Brian. I love that you do this for the uh... The, uh, the athletes
0: and alums, appreciate it. It's been fun. And, you know, in addition to meeting interesting new people, especially kind of the younger, super impressive kids that go to Wesleyan these days, yeah. it's been a good excuse to reconnect with friends like you that have been, it's been too long. So um, it's fun to do things like this and just be able to catch up in general. So let's jump into, it. you were a year behind me. So class of 05, football guy, but maybe rewinding the tape a little bit, and I'm not even sure I know the story. How did you, how did you get to Westland?
1: Completely random. So I, um, you know, I went to North Attleboro public high school. Um, You know, uh, I played football all four years, played some baseball. And when I was looking at schools, I was getting all these, you know, I just figured I was going to go to UMass or go to University of Rhode Island, Bridgewater State. Like I, I was literally looking at all the schools that that all my friends were going to, or their big brothers and big sisters would go to, right? So, um I kept getting these letters in the mail from like Trinity and Wesleyan, and and I would go to my dad, and I'm like, and and they were pretty hands off when it came to thinking about college. But my dad's like, you should look at these schools. These are NESCAC schools. Like th- th- these, you know, you could play you could play ball there, and they're great academic schools. So I said, great. So I I started to set up some. Um, some visits, some like you know, overnight visits. So I set up Wesleyan and I set up Trinity and I set up um what else did I have? Tufts and a couple of other schools. And Wesleyan was the first visit. So I went there, I can't remember what it was, a Thursday or Friday. I can't remember what when when those visits typically were, but um, I fell in love with it right from the get-go. I listened to a couple of your other um your other podcasts, and it seems like people had that same reaction to the campus and just the the people, the community itself, and I canceled all the rest of my visits. I committed like on the spot, so I just I, I feel lucky and grateful that I ended up, you know, at Wesleyan and got to meet you and a lot of our other friends that just have been lifelong, lifelong buddies.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I've done, gosh, thirty plus of these, and the story is almost always the same. It was like I went to campus, I met some people, and it was just boom. I, I knew it was where I wanted to go. I know I I applied ED one and. That was it. I mean, I didn't want to go anywhere else. So, and I can't remember was was Reba coaching football when yeah. you played. Okay, so the head coach of lacrosse, he was the D coordinator. Yeah, he's the D coordinator. Yep. yep. Yeah, did a great job um, there. So maybe talk. I mean, obviously we were really tight friends, but maybe your experience as um, a football guy at West back then, what that was like being an athlete, what you focused on academically before we kind of jump into post-school
1: yeah so we um the head coach was frank hauser at the time we were kind of a middle of the road uh team at that point it was amherst it was williams and t- trinity was really emerging at that point they became unbelievable at the second half of our tenure um but we were literally i think all four years we ended up 16 and 16, like literally mediocre, the definition of mediocre, um, but some great talent on the team. Um, we just had, you know, a system, like a, a lot of people didn't really buy into the offensive and defensive system. So it was kind of a buy-in issue, I, I think, because the talent was just phenomenal when I look back at it. Um, I, I was an econ major. Um, I, I wanted to get into, I always wanted to, to get into business-related kind of entrepreneurial endeavors. And obviously we didn't have a business school. So I thought Going into e-com would kind of unlock a lot of these, a lot of these opportunities. But little did I know I would be taking derivative and integral calc, and it would be so math intensive. I'm like, oh no, I'm I'm out of my element here. But uh, it ended up being phenomenal. Met some great people and set me up for for after we graduated.
0: Yeah, so let, let's get into that. I, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to age myself here. But when I was I was 04, it was really pre Facebook. You know, social media was just emerging. And for a lot of us, we just kind of lost touch um after school. So, you know, what did that look like when you graduated? What was the first gig that you took? How'd you get there? What did that look like?
1: I had a completely nonlinear path. I'd be interested to get your take on what others are saying about this, but I thought, um, just based on what everybody else was doing, that I needed to go work at Lehman Brothers, that I needed to work in an investment bank. And I didn't really have a good sense for who I was and what I wanted to do at all. So I started going down those avenues and I just, I had no interest. I mean, people talking glowingly about how they're working 80, 100, 120 hour weeks and it was all about the money. And it just, I just didn't resonate with that at all. Um, so then I started to, my uncle um, was involved in the publishing, the higher education publishing industry, selling books. And I interviewed, he lined, he helped me get like five or six interviews as I was about to graduate from college. And I got rejected from every single one of those interviews. So I said, man, I don't have anything lined up. I don't know what to do. And when I got back home, there was a a fitness club that opened up right nearby. I walked into the fitness club, said, I'll have a job. Here's my degree from Wesleyan. Like I'll take up, you know, do you have any sales positions open? Because uh, i got turned down from the jobs because they said i didn't have enough sales experience right so i took a job there 300 bucks a week twenty dollars a membership and i did that and just was on the phones for like a year and it was the best thing that i ever did um and the next thing i ended up doing was i got promoted into a leadership position there you know early on 23 and then i got another opportunity at a publishing role back in higher education publishing and so they gave me two opportunities they said you can move to Salt Lake City, Utah, or you can move to Iowa City, Iowa. I'm like, hmm, one one sounds like a bigger city, so I guess I'll go there. Um, So I ended up going to Salt Lake for a couple of years and just knocking on doors, um, selling books and digital materials. And then uh, I moved out to LA um, and and took a a different, different role in that industry. And then completely at the very end of my publishing career, You know, the not not just the newspaper industry, but the publishing industry, too, was really going through a lot of transition. And I just didn't see a future there at all. And a lot of my friends were starting to move over into higher ed related technology roles like at Amazon Web Services, Salesforce. And I had a couple of friends that went to Salesforce. um, So I ended up applying, getting this job, and it's just been life-changing for for me and my family and just a lot of fun to work for such a forward-looking company so i've been at salesforce for the last four years started as an account executive and now i've been a regional vice president for the last couple of years with a
0: team of six so, so going back to initially when you when you finally got those education gigs were they the same groups that rejected you the first go around
1: did completely different, different. But I did, okay but i did interact with them too and i ended up when I actually got the role, I, I, I got this award, this rookie of the year award for like the highest performing rookie. And I remember a couple of those people like, Oh man, we remember you applying three years ago and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was nice to, it was nice to be able to perform in their face. How do you like them up? <laughs> um,
0: so I, I guess you asked us earlier and we hear similar, I mean, I hear similar stories where, you know, you're so caught up in the community of Wesleyan. And we obviously, we had a great time and we were focused on academics, but we were playing sports and socially very active. And then just kind of seemed like one day it all stopped. And I was totally unprepared for kind of what that next step looked like. And it felt the same way for me. It felt like, especially, you know, within the athlete community with a lot of the lacrosse and hockey and football guys, they had all, you know, during the time that I was screwing around, I guess, had lined up like internships at these investment banks or they're going right into law school or they had they had lined up these big corporate gigs and I just didn't really have a plan. Um, everyone was moving to Boston, everyone was moving to New York and I didn't really wanna do either of those things. Um, you know, and so I'm with you. I just kind of fell into a sales job, frankly, initially. And when I moved to DC, and then, kind of found my path, but it probably took me three to five years, um you, a couple hundred grand of graduate school, law school right. tuition. You, yeah, I mean, it was.
1: Did yeah. you feel like a failure because of that? Because I, I felt like that for a while. I was like, "Wow, I've got this Wesleyan degree, and I'm like, I'm just like selling through twenty dollars memberships." Uh, it just it didn't compute for a while for me. Yeah,
0: I, I had a big challenge with you know um being a college of letters major where I was hanging out with all these really academically oriented smart kids uh who went on to to they're now professors a lot of them and then yeah I mean constantly looking you know laterally and seeing people that I thought were ahead of me on the ladder, right? Seeing people who were working at JP Morgan, you know, good friends of ours like Glenn Lenehan, who was already in law school and had summer internships and was you know, securing his way up the corporate ladder. And then I was working a sales gig, um, making cold calls, living in DC around other Wesleyan people that were in politics. And I felt like kind of almost a little embarrassed, but also I felt like I let my parents down a little bit because they'd spent all this money. I went to private school, then I went to Wesleyan, I didn't have any loans. And I felt like, man, this is how I'm gonna you know, repay them. Um, and it definitely, it, it, it took a while to get over that. Um, and I think that lends itself to this imposter syndrome we all suffer from yeah. where even we do feel secure and have some success, some mornings you wake up and you're like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing here. These people take me seriously, but I'm a fraud. Um, I think it's something we all deal with. Yeah, I think uh,
1: I didn't realize what, re- what I really learned at Wesleyan until 10 years later, which is just how to critically think. Like it wasn't, cause you're always thinking so linearly, right? It's like, okay, I'm gonna be a business major and I'm gonna go into business. And it's like, that's just not, I mean, yes, that may be a path, but that's not the the typical path. It, it is up and down all around. And you have to be creative and you have to be able to problem solve and critically think. And that's what a liberal arts degree did for me. And not just that, but the value added network of like being around you guys and like people who always elevated my thinking because that was not happening at public school for me in high school. Um, so I always felt like I was lesser than, but then I eventually just kind of grew into that sort of thinking because I was around
0: those sorts of people. So yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah, I, I see two different things. One is, um, interviewing in, interviewing people on the on the show who maybe are a first generation college student who they just literally didn't grow up around white collar professionals unfamiliar with a lot of those um, job titles or organizations and just they're just scared and they don't even know how to, to start that conversation and then i think i can't remember what your folks did or do but a lot of people our generation I mean, it's been pretty straight path. I mean, their parents maybe worked at the same job for like 25, 30, 40 years, and it's just not the case anymore. And now, you know, every three to five years, we're reinventing ourselves professionally and it kind of forces you to to be comfortable stepping into that void and learning on the fly. But yeah, I mean, we hear the same, I hear the same things over and over again. And it's important, I think, especially if you're with, you know and I, and I see it a lot in football guys and hockey guys and lacrosse guys and they are for the most part men but women also suffer from this and there are certain people that you will they will play with who day one at school they know they want to be an investment banker and they like follow that playbook yeah and just because you're not it doesn't mean you're any less worthwhile or, or or not as smart as they are they're just executing a plan that they've had in their head since high school And oftentimes those people burn out, but at the time you think, man, they're so organized and have all this together. But I think it's, it's not everything. It seems to be oftentimes.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's not even your plan too. you know, like it just takes a while until I started digging, like started to think for myself. And it wasn't until after college, well, after college where I was like, okay, who am I, who is Nick? What's important to me. And then like when you ground yourself in some core, core values, then you can make, much smarter decisions and where you want to go and, and and nobody teaches you that really you know you just kind of go in high school and there's no growth mindset there's no soft skill stuff it's just all about a path you know yeah and i think
0: as athletes we're trained to you know we're mission driven we're we're all kind of alpha oriented and we just want to succeed and go to the next challenge And you're right. I mean, Wesleyan does a great job of having you think critically, and the network is incredible. You get exposure to all these different types of learning, but we don't do a great job of understanding even what networking is or what professional development is or what relationship building is. And I certainly, you know, I don't have regrets about Wesleyan, but I wish I'd spent more time talking to alums, leveraging that Wesleyan lacrosse network of of folks that, you know, maybe they were lawyers and maybe that would have saved me three years of, of pain if I knew what that actually looked like, but I didn't even know where to go or how to ask those questions or, or how to navigate it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, part of this is, is we're trying to you know teach people that it's not linear. It's going to zig and zag. And there is no, I think also there's no end game, right? There's no destination here. We're just kind of moving forward in time and space and trying to be good people and, create value for their enterprise we're associated with right yep i agree i think one the other thing that um
1: took me a while to figure out was like what was my differentiator so many times i was trying to compete with others like I i may not have thought i was competing but i in the back of my head i was competing with others and it's not you can't there's no apples to apples comparison i my background's completely different than yours point of views are completely different and like my you asked what my parents did my dad was a garage door salesman owned his own business for a while um sold that business went bankrupt my mother you know didn't have a degree um but my different i figured out my differentiator later on which was like i've got this kind of blue collar mindset and my dad always had this open curious mind he would sit at a bar and talk to a professor of you know philosophy and then he talked talk and talk to a union plumber to the right of him and he'd be able to have these conversations at the exact same time and i always was like in awe of this whole thing and um that was my differentiator and that's actually once i figured that out that i had a different i went to wesley but i had this different view of this you know this uh this degree and and what type of person i was and what i wanted to do that's what's helped that's cleared my mind you know what i mean i just think that uh, a lot of people just don't get there
0: so Uh, yeah and i've been an entrepreneur for about 10 years now and it took me a while to come to grips with the fact that even though i have this great degree and i have this you know col uh, background i'm really good at sales and marketing and business development and i have other people in the organization that are really good at underwriting or doing financial analysis or taxes and just because I am not good at those or don't want to do them, doesn't mean that I can't help, you know, create value for my company. And I've, I finally really come to peace with what I'm good at, what I enjoy doing and have other people kind of do different roles. Um, so I think that's super powerful. And for people listening who like this style of conversation, I'd encourage you to check out Jeff Jorvey's interview I did a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure when it's gonna air, but Jeff had this similar issue and you probably remember Jorvey. Mm-hmm. He went on to do some really cool stuff. He worked for The Economist and he got a, an advanced degree from Hopkins in uh, you know uh, public policy and international commerce. but then realized he just wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. And then we kind of unpack like what all that means, right? It, does that mean that you're not a good person because you're not you know fully leveraging your degree? And it's super interesting to hear his perspective on that and where he has kind of found peace and joy professionally. Um, versus the expectation that society would have for him. That's amazing.
1: That's the true testament of trying to figure out who you are and what's important to you. That's cool.
0: So, so let's let's get back into kind of, um, you know, the education space. I, I really want to learn more about this transition from what I would call like this old industry of kind of selling books to where it's transitioned now into being a tech community what is if somebody listening is interested in education as a as an industry I mean, where do you see trend lines how do you spend your day maybe tell us a little bit more about your role and what opportunities might be for folks that are interested in that in that world
1: yeah sure so um so when you think about higher education a lot of people are thinking about you know actually working at a university right like being a professor or being on staff somewhere working as a dean or something like that but um there's a whole industry around higher education. I mean, there's, um, that's, you know, the the book publishing industry was a huge booming industry for a long, long time, because not only were there um, professors who were authors who were getting paid royalties and obviously were mass marketing books, but, um, you know, it was also about a, a lot of these sales reps just selling books to bookstores and, and to, to individual professors, right? Um, so that was my entryway into higher education but there's a larger so that's a when I look at it now that was like a, a small blip on the radar when it came to the economics of higher education and now I work at salesforce leveraging like the entire student life cycle now so for example in in higher ed there's 4,000 universities um every single university is um trying to figure out what the future is going to look like they're trying to go undergo some sort of digital transformation or figure out who they are um, as a university and they're trying to focus on driving revenue streams or operational efficiency at this point now right so um there's many of these schools there's a lot of consolidation so there's many of these smaller schools are either getting bought up or closing down um, and they're under, or, or you could or be an Ivy League school that's under attack about what the value of a true Ivy League education is or a, you know, a, a larger scale four year institution. So, what Salesforce does is we, um, we have a platform that's not just a CRM, but also marketing and communication tools and all that stuff. But we help universities really figure out how to prospect for enrollments, driving revenue, making sure students are successful in the classroom for retention. So the the higher retention rates you have, the more revenues coming in, right? Uh, And then if you do that right, then you create more affinity with those graduates to become giving alums. So the advancement piece of it is full sales, right? It's, It's fundraising, it's donations, it's volunteering, all that sort of stuff. So from prospect to alum, we have this set of solutions that can help provide not just point solution stuff, but also like a full platform that ties the whole experience together. So I don't know if that helps answer your question, but um, yeah, the higher ed industry is fascinating. It's going through a ton of change at this point.
0: No, it, it's super interesting and helpful because I think sometimes even in my head, and my wife works at a, who also is a Western graduate, she works at a private school here in Nashville, fifth uh, through 12, and so we talk about kind of the business of education, and it's a very kind of prestigious school. But even even still then, in my mind, sometimes I'm like, oh, Wesleyan, you know, people go there to learn. And it's it's like ivory tower and a beacon on the hill. But there's also, you know, you got to cover expenses and you've got to drive revenue and you got to make hard decisions. And there's this ecosystem of third-party service providers around these institutions that help them achieve those goals, right? So it's super interesting to learn about it from your perspective. Um, one thing we covered on the call that I, that I think would be helpful for people to listen to you're in a position where you've had to make hiring decisions um, quite a bit. You've interviewed a lot of people, maybe talk about how Salesforce does it. And to the extent you can give some actionable advice to people who, you know, like you were right out of school teeing up interviews or trying to get interviews, any words of wisdom there about, you know, how people could maybe be a little bit more effective in that arena.
1: Yeah. So, um, Starting off, so I'm a regional vice president for the field higher ed team. So in so, so this is software sales speak, um, but we have a team of six account executives who sell into these higher ed institutions that each have their own territories of let's say 10 to 12 universities. And they are responsible for selling into every aspect of the university. So they have to be very strategic in the way that they think. They have to um, uh, do things like pipe gen, which is really just driving uh, new opportunities and, and identifying what those opportunities are. They have to then be able to develop relationships and see those opportunities and advance that pipe to close deals, right, to make money, to drive business. Um, and there's a, I think a lot of it is really about like being a good educator and connecting dots. If you can do those two things and you're curious, those three things, any anybody who who has those three traits can really do it. Um, But what what I'm looking for, uh, what Salesforce and what I'm looking for um, in successful candidates are really three different things. One is, uh, do you have sales experience? Two is, do you have vertical experience, like higher ed experience? And three, do you have software experience? And you're usually looking for two out of those three. You don't need to have three. But if you have two of those three, you can usually learn the other, the third one. Um, so we found a lot of success in those areas. Um, I think the biggest thing working at a technology company from where I was before at a publishing company is the pace and rigor. Everything's very fast. Um, if, if you're expecting an annual, like if you, if you're expecting yourself to just say, okay, I've got a million dollar goal and I'm going to try and reach that goal by the end of the year and whatever happens, happens you're not going to be successful. You've got to really like drill down into what your plan is going to be on a monthly, weekly, daily basis to make sure that you hit the process over outcome, right? And if you don't have that, if you can't think strategically, but then also tactically, then you're in a world of trouble, in my opinion. Um, And the only way that you can do that is if you are very curious, um, you're always learning, and You just have an insatiable interest and hunger in in the vertical and software business. So that's I think that's who I'm looking for as far as it's it's not any of the specifics, right? It's like it's not about, hey, what was your performance? Yeah, that's great. And, you know, uh, where where have you sold? Who have you known all that sort of stuff? It's 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 really the the soft stuff around that's harder to find. But if you if you hit the nail on the head, I mean, you you find some really successful candidates. I would say for anybody that's coming out of Wesleyan who's interested in sales or software, I think there's like five. In fact, in prep for this, I, I was looking at five different areas that I think are really, 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 really critical for any graduate. Number one is do your prep and trying to figure out really if you're interested in that. You, you may think you're interested, but are you actually interested? You can do that through. Your peer network, obviously, people who graduated before you actually talking to them about their experience in, in the business. I think doing research on companies, um, going through the interview process, you can find out a lot. Obviously, colleagues, trying to talk to fellow alums, maybe doing some, you know, making some mistakes and trying to figure out if you actually want to do it and quickly pivoting and moving to something else instead of saying, Hey, I made this commitment. Might as well go with it for 30 years right i think you, you said it it's it's a constantly evolving space at this point but i think those are some of the really key things is just make sure that you do some of your own internal homework on who you are first instead of just making and jumping jumping at decisions because all
0: your friends are doing it so hopefully that helps yeah that's a huge help and, and have you found athletes especially team athletes Present better in these interviews, or do you find yourself not attracted, but gravitating towards those profiles and backgrounds and personalities in the uh, in the hiring process? I do. I think uh if you because they're
1: highly coachable, right? Like you're just used to taking constructive feedback and using it, and not getting offended by things like that. I think that's that's huge. Um, you're highly competitive usually, um, and not just competing with other people, but also competing with yourself, I think is probably more important. Um, and just used to like a fast paced environment where things are constantly changing and moving and also team dynamics, because in sales, a lot of people think it's individual, but it's really not because you're trying to influence internal people to help you get things done. And you're trying to influence external people to buy things that you care about and that you believe it. So there's a lot of team dynamics that you have to work out to actually get a deal, a large deal close. So uh, I a hundred percent think that athletes are well positioned for sales gigs.
0: Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. When I, when I hire biz dev or, or sales folks, um, I love to see them have a team uh, sport background. I think it makes a huge difference for all the reasons that you put out there. Um, well, Nick, thanks for the time. Um, you know, I always ask you. You're a passionate love. I'm sure you won't mind, but is it okay if folks kind of reach out if they have um, an interest in learning about your space or your story, or just want to uh, connect with you in general? Absolutely, always would love to
1: to connect with anybody. My LinkedIn profile is you can you can put that in the show notes or whatever you you put, you put out there. But would love to connect. Whatever I can do to help. Um, I wish I asked for more help when I was graduating. So please do. Yeah, I. I...
0: I would echo that, and uh, if if you ever find yourself in the biggest, little state in the union, you know how to, you know how to get a hold of That's Right. And Rhode Island and the Providence plantations. Well, thanks for making the time. This has been tremendous. Really appreciate it, and it's good to catch up in general, man. It's good to see you.
1: I agree, Brian. Thanks, man. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, Nick. Take care.